Bible says this in chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You may be seated. Father, unity is such an important truth taught throughout your scriptures, Lord, from the early pages of scriptures all the way to the end, you hearkened and command and ask for unity. But Lord, you do not ask for something that you do not provide the answer for. And we know and understand it is the gospel that brings us unity. And any time, Lord, we as your children try to find unity in anything other than that, the gospel, Unity is not accomplished. Father, as we look at this text written 2,000 years ago or so to a very healthy, loving church, Lord, it is a reminder that the blessedness of unity can leave, Lord, if we surrender to sin versus the gospel. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning that we would hear the word of God, but not only be hearers, but be doers of it. Please, Lord, by your spirit, come. Pierce our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, there's a few football games being played today. Um, People put everything they have into that. People will bet on them. Um, Their lives, their happiness... Uh, all of their joys will ride on those games. I hope you're not that engaged with it. I almost wore my cheese head today, but I thought that would be too much. (laughs) When you think about just a game of football and watching my son play these last four years, there's a tremendous amount of unity that goes into the game, and, and maybe you'll watch it, maybe you won't today, but I can promise you a couple things that if they don't play as a team, they don't have a hope of winning. Just so, there's, no, there's no way. If everybody's out for their own agenda, there's no way they're going to win. That's with our families, right? That's the job you work at. If you have everybody's all selfish in your job and nobody really works together, probably that job is not going to be a great place to go and it probably won't last. You think about football. What if the offensive lineman said... Every other down, we're not blocking. That quarterback is just hosed. There he is. Go get him. No way to win him. That quarterback is so dependent upon those offensive line really laying down their personal health for his, aren't they? And if that quarterback is not thankful for those guys, they will say, oh, go ahead, go get him. We see quarterbacks take their linemen out to dinner. That's an expensive bill. Because they're grateful for that. 
defensive linemen, if they don't stay in their gaps and hold their positions, they'll get their, it'll get blown up and they'll give up a tremendous amount of yards. But there's always that guy who wants the sack and to run and do something so the crowd can look at him. They need to hold their jobs. Cornerbacks, some of them love glory. But if they don't stay in coverage, the whole thing will fall apart. You see where I'm going with this. There is tremendous unity that it takes for this team to win today or to lose. Now hopefully when the game is done, those individuals will say, hey, I couldn't have done it without this guy. We needed this guy. Boy, these guys did what they were supposed to do. It's unity. And it's a stupid football game. Now think about the church. Paul is so concerned with the unity of the church, he deals with the subject matter intensely in every one of his epistles. He knows once we get individualized, if we are not concerned with one another, that you see yourself as a part of this unit that makes up the unity of the body of Christ, if you do not see that and fulfill that, then the church will struggle. And he warns and warns and warns and warns throughout his epistles. Even to churches like Philippi that were, had great joy and were really successful in a lot of ways. It does not take him long to get to unity and the destruction of what God has done. What I love about this text is how he brings about unity, how he says it comes. I was rehearsing this with Michael a little bit this week and Poor Michael has to listen to sermons a couple times because I get so excited, I got to tell somebody. I, I can't wait till Sunday. So, you know, I grab Michael or Jessica or who's ever in the office and start going, hey, here's what I'm learning. And I was struggling with a title for it and, and Michael says, it sounds like the gospel is the path to unity. But it's done through humility. And so that was where the sermon title came up, the gospel path of unity through humility. And that's what Paul's really after this morning as we look at this text is having unity, but the path to get it is through humility. And just like those football players, if they are out for themselves this morning, they will sacrifice the entire team. And it happens in churches. People will get their toes stepped on and they give up and back off and, and there's a break of fellowship and all that stuff happens and the goals for what God has for us begin to waste away. Paul does not want that to happen in the church of Philippi. And I know God does not want that to happen here. So let me give you just three thoughts this morning and some thoughts inside of thoughts to really help us surrender to the path of unity through the gospel according to humility. Notice the first thought is this, the spirit of those who strive together for the gospel. The spirit of those who strive together for the gospel. Now, there is a certain smallest spirit here that I'm talking about. But look at the verse. It starts with the word therefore or so, depending on your translation that's sitting on your lap there. And it refers back to the context of verse 27. If you look at verse 27, remember this? We said that, um, that conduct is, is driven by the gospel. We talked about that the last couple of weeks. Uh, only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel so that whether I come 
and see you are remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the gospel. So this therefore goes all the way back to verse 27. Now 28 are, are the results of that. Meaning, verse 28, it's going to be, when you strive for the faith of the gospel, it's going to be a sign and have a twofold sign there. One, it's going to mean destruction to people who hate the gospel, who reject the gospel. Destruction to Satan and his forces. Or it's going to be salvation to you and to those around you. And then he says, don't forget that you have been granted salvation. Remember, we saw this last week, verse 29. You have been granted not only just to believe, not for faith and salvation, but also to suffer. In verse 30, just as you've seen in me, you now will suffer as well when you chase the gospel. So verse 28, 29, 30 are the responses and the, uh, the result of striving after the gospel. So this therefore in verse 2, remember these chapter breaks weren't written in there. Paul wasn't writing this letter and just goes, chapter 2, verse 1. We added those later so we could find places, right? It's a letter, right? It's just flowing down. So he says, therefore... And that's bringing us to, to what he wants to take us to. The result of this striving together is going to produce something within us. So here is what Paul is saying, I believe. Because we have a divine sanction to be of one mind and one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel, we must therefore dot, 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 verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. That's where he's going with us. Now, the next little word that we have to deal with in our text, it says, therefore, if, or so if, your Bible might say. This little word, if, is an interesting little Greek participle. Um, it is used in what we call a first-class condition. Let me explain that. In, in Greek, we don't always have the verse supplied. So when the writer uses a, a first-class Greek participle, we supply the is here. So in other words, Paul's saying this. Paul is expressing the idea that if this context from verse 27 is true, if that's true, if we are to be standing together, no matter if, if he shows up or not or who's ever in the pulpit, if we are to be striving together, standing together, one mind together for the gospel, if that is true, then this is what's going to give you your strength. See, he's playing off the last four verses to give you an understanding of where he's going. So in this particular use of this first class participle, you can translate this word if, it's a little, it's just a little teeny word in the Greek, it's, ace. it's hard to pronounce a little bit. Um, you can translate it since or because. Now, notice, and I'm going to get to that, I'm going to translate it that way for you. Notice there are no question marks in your Bible. Do you see any question marks there? And the Greek has question marks in there. You can add question marks. They're, they're actually in the language. But here there are no question marks. And so that, that's because verse 1 is more of a statement of result. The result of standing firm in verse 27 of one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel is these four very clear things here written in verse 1. Now, let's read it with the, using the word because or since. Verse 1. Therefore, because there is encouragement in Christ, because there is consolation of love, because there is fellowship of spirit, because there is affection and compassion, make my joy complete. Do you see that? We honestly can render the word that way. 
But it's a challenge to us. It's a statement to us as well. And so often we leave it in that first class condition of if. Now, I believe the verse here as we look at this has four clear principles that motivate believers to be united. They're, they're, they are personally shared. These are something we share as believers, right? And I believe the first two points direct towards the work of Christ, our encouragement and our position in Christ and the love that we have that consoles us, comforts us, takes us through it. The next two points are the working of the Holy Spirit. There's a koinia with the Spirit. There's a, a deep stirring of, of affection and emotions that comes from the Holy Spirit when we love the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I want to look at these. Notice there's four of them here. Notice he first says, because or since, there's encouragement in Christ. Uh, Paraclesis is the word. It's, it's a beautiful word. It's used of the role of the Holy Spirit as well in John 16, 14 and 16, that he is a comfort to us. And so the word means that he provides for you and I. Now, no, don't, don't think abstractly for you because he has to do this to all of us so that we can come unified together. He provides comfort, counsel, and exhortation to you. That's what he's doing. Be encouraged that the Lord knows your situation. He is a God who comforts and consoles and encourages you. He is your biggest fan in your corner. You have no greater person who loves you more who is engaged with you more, who knows every fiber and cell about you than the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, be encouraged in Christ. Now this, this little prepositional phrase right there after encouragement in Christ is really key. Because prepositional phrases, particularly in the Greek, denote position. And, and Paul is saying, this is why you're encouraged because you're no longer in the world. The, the world doesn't have a hold of you. It doesn't, you don't belong to it anymore. It can't drag your soul to hell. It doesn't even have the right to tell you what to do anymore. You are in Christ. Fully enveloped, fully immersed in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is great encouragement, and this is what brings unity about for us. Look with me just back to Ephesians chapter 1. I was looking at this text this last week. And I think I counted eight times in this beautiful text that reminds us of the lectorial love of God, Christ in the Spirit. It's a Trinitarian love for you. Verse 3, it says you have this blessing in the heavenly places. And notice it ends the verse, in Christ. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him. There's two of them. Before the, that we're, before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. It's actually another prepositional phrase. In love, he predestined us to be adopted sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intentions of his will. To the praise of his glory. Of course, verse 7, look at in him. This is this position you have in Jesus again. In him you have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses that wanton, willing sin. 
Notice as you drop down to verse 9, he has made known to us the mysteries of his will. We understand what God's doing. He brought Jesus to take care of our sin according to his kind intentions. God is very kind, which he purposed where? In him, it says again, doesn't it? In our position in Christ. Verse 10, summing up all things, middle of verse 10, in Christ, things in heaven and on earth. In him, we've also obtained an inheritance. That's an incorruptible inheritance. Verse 12, to the end of who were our first hope in Christ. Verse 13, in him. It just goes on and on. Be encouraged. God didn't save you and say, oh, now you're in a club. (laughs) We are in the church, but we're the body of Christ. He placed you in that. So the greatest driving force of unity is that all of us have been saved out of the world and he placed you and I in his son, never to be lost, never to be apart from him. I love that text. That's what establishes our unity. We're in Christ together. Notice the next one, the consolation of love, as you turn back to our text. The consolation of our love. Paramuthan is the Greek word. It's an interesting word. It carries the idea that someone is speaking closely to you with comfort and encouragement. Man, I looked at that word. It's not used very often. We don't, it's not, it's not, uh, has tons of usages within the scriptures. We actually get most of the understanding of it outside of the scriptures of the use of the word. But here's this idea that Christ is constantly speaking to you of his love for you. We have verses like this, 1 John 4, 9. By this the love of God was manifest in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. See, that's the Lord whispering to you. It's the consolation of love. My father sent me. I died for you. Stop messing with sin. Start being unified with the church. Serve me. He's he's whispering to you. He's showing you. He's speaking to you. He's constantly bringing you together. And he isn't doing it just to you. He's doing it to all of us. He's doing it this morning through his word. He does it by his spirit. All week long that you and I have encouragement. You have consolation. He is speaking closely to you with comfort and encouragement. Last week we looked at the verse, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it says, for the love of Christ compels us, controls us. Because he who died for us, we now live for him. And we no longer live for ourselves. Third, in our verse here that drives gospel unity, is the fellowship of the Spirit. Notice this is now a big S in spirit. So it's not talking about the person of us, the people of us or our inner person here. It's talking about the work of the spirit. Now again, notice that he uses the word koinia, fellowship. Some of the translations use the word participation, which is a good word as well. There's a koinia, there's a participating work going on. Now you remember in chapter 1 verse 5, we've seen the same word used. In view of your fellowship in the gospel or your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, here we get an idea that there is, there is unity because we 
fellowship, we participate with the Spirit of God. You go, what does that mean? What brings tremendous unity to a congregation is when each of us are in fellowship with the Spirit of God. That means we're yielding to Him. See, if we all go out of this room and we say, hey, that was a really good sermon, let's go do what we want. We won't have unity. We'll have Sunday, but we won't have unity. Unity comes when you and I, each one in our different roles, moms, dads, workers, employers, employees, children, all of the roles that we have in this life, when each of us, you and I, are submitting to the Spirit of God. When he knocks on your heart and says, listen, hey, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit here. I'm coming in. I've made you as my temple. I'm living within you. I seal you, the Spirit tells us. I guarantee your internal inheritance. I give you fruit in your life. I call it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I give you that. And then he comes when our weaknesses are great and he helps us pray according to Romans 8. And God commands us to let him fill our lives. And he spotlights Jesus in our life. Think about that. When we yield to the, to the Spirit of God on Monday school, when it's most difficult and we're back in the world, he's spotlighting Christ to you. Just think about the unity that, that develops for you and I. Just think about how that makes you and I one because we have the Spirit of God within us. The Bible doesn't say he puts spirits of God within us, does it? He puts the Spirit of God in each and every one of us so that you and I have the fellowship of the Spirit. Boy, does this bring us together. Notice, the Bible says here, if there's any affection and compassion. These words I was least familiar with. In fact, this word for affection Splekron is, is an interesting word. It's not used very often at all. In fact, I think this is uh, the only place it's used. It is a word that speaks of inner parts. In fact, you would translate it for your liver, your gut, your heart, uh, these inner parts. And so what I think what Paul is saying here is that because the Spirit now we have fellowship with the Spirit, the Spirit produces emotions for your Savior. This reference is to the seed of your emotions. The Spirit of God stirs up truth in your inner person. He stirs up truth in your inner emotions that come out. I, I, I just was overwhelmed when Darren finished that song and I thought, I'm glad there's one more song to go. I've got to get myself together. Because a song took me through my life. One day, one day, it keeps going through the life of Christ, his birth and coming into the world and his crucifixion and his resurrection and then his return. And, and it smote me as I sat there and thought about my Lord. I could hardly get the words out to sing it because there's a seed of emotions when you bring the gospel and affection for our Lord. And that affection bleeds into one another. And if your seat of your emotions is driven by the gospel, 
The Spirit will stir up truth in your inner person. Are you stirred? Are you stirred on Monday about the gospel? Are you stirred on Wednesday about the gospel? And I know, look, I'm, I, I worked in the world for a long, long time. And I know it's difficult. But ask the Lord to stir your emotions and thoughts based on Scripture. Ask the Spirit to have freedom in your life. Give me affection for Christ. And I promise you, you'll have affection for one another. I was so moved standing in the hospital room with Thompson's this week. Ted and I got the news when we were in Mexico that Baby Sela is on the ground. We high-fived each other and praise the Lord for it. And it was really cool. And then we're in this room and here's this little life. I had such affection for them. Because I know God gave them that life. And God protected them. And I have the same affection for you that you're here today and you love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope you have affection for each other. You care enough to say, hey, someone's not here. Why aren't they here? I'm going to call them today. Or is that just our pastor's jobs? See, the Spirit of God wants to create unity in this church. He's doing it. But it's not going to come because we're all clubbers. <laughs> we all like football or golf or... Uh, I better get a girl thing in there. Pinterest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to get that you're not going to get the unity of the Bible you're going to get it through the gospel and the gospel is either going to give you great affections for Christ and for each other or you miss the gospel I'm telling you it causes us to die to self and the next word says that it gives us compassion. Oikthermos. Oikthermos is there's this, there's this compassion, there's pity, there's sympathy, there's, we get the word mercy from this word. You see people around you and you begin to have a heart of mercy for them. We're looking for deacons. Men who have a heart of mercy for people. But it is not just for deacons, it's for all of us. The gospel causes us to be merciful. Recently I had to deal with a situation that took a tremendous amount of mercy. And Gina and I talked about it for quite some time. We said, man, God has been so merciful to us. Let us be merciful. And you feel like sometimes you're being stepped on or run over and used and abused. You know that. But I thought of my Lord hanging there on the cross. They, they have no idea who they're killing. And he looks down and he says, have mercy on them. Be gracious to them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. Colossians says it this way. So those who have been chosen of God, boom, believers, holy and devoted, uh, holy and beloved, Put on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If you have been chosen by God and you're a believer, that's, you want to say, well, I don't know if I'm chosen. If you believe in Jesus, you're chosen. End of discussion. 
put on. He uses a word of taking a coat off and putting it on. Put on the heart of compassion for one another. Let your choosing, let the salvation that God freely gave you with no strings attached drive compassion for one another. See, these are the marks of unifying principles taught through the scriptures. And look at this. The result, Paul says, is my joy is made complete. In verse 2. My joy is made complete. In other words, Paul is saying, because you have been encouraged to be unified in your position in Christ, because you've experienced the unifying, whispering, the love of Christ to your soul, because you have true koinonia through the Spirit of God, and because the Spirit stirs up deep-seated emotions for me and for one another and for Christ, my joy is complete. That's a pastor. See, pastors, they don't need a tremendous amount of things. What they want to see, Pastor Paul wanted to see here, was that Philippi had these things in their life and he knew their unity couldn't be broke. And he's not dumb. He knows persecution's coming. And he knows they need to stand together, but he knows there'll be joy in unity. One dear brother years ago told me something that really bothered me. He said, diversity is important in the church. We shouldn't be unified. And I said, how do you explain that from the scriptures? Well, we should believe lots of different things, but then come together and love each other anyway. Because that's not the unity of the Bible. The gospel brings us together. The gospel floods into every doctrine we have. My view of God is, is held together through the gospel. The doctrine of God. What we call theology proper. My doctrine of Christ. My doctrine of pneumatology. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Is held together. How I view unity and fellowship through the gospel. Unity is driven by the gospel. And if you don't know the gospel and you don't believe it, or, or you hide it under a bushel so no one can see it in your life, unity will be very difficult for you. Number two, look what he does here. The character of those who strive for the gospel. By being, verse chapter two, a little ways into verse, verse two here, by being the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now look at this. Here we start to see the character of those striving together. There's a certain attributes of unity that we see in these people who now have understood the encouragement of being in Christ. They understand and appreciate and unify around the consoling love that they have. They have grasped the koinonia of the Spirit, how it brings them together. They have now stirred up emotions and affections for Christ and for Paul and for one another. Their joy is being made, and, and here now, Paul is going to say, here's the character, the attributes of these people. Notice he says, number one, being of the same mind. Literally, when you translate this, it says, thinking the same. And that was what I thought when I, this guy told me that. I said, well, that's not thinking the same. The Bible says uniquely about these united, joyful people here is they think the same. Now, we understand there are uh, um, some who have been Christians for a long time and have studied the Word of God. We're not talking about knowledge here at all. But we think the same. And where do we start with our thinking so we can be the same? Where do we start with? It's right behind me here. The gospel. That's where we start. 
That's what makes us love each other and makes our love last for one another. Think the same. This is true unity. I got a lesson one day on the back of a horse. Well, actually for many years. I had a horse I just named Junior because when he was born I didn't know what else to call him. So let's call him Junior. In the, the world of the cowboys say this, you'll have one extraordinary horse and you'll have one extraordinary dog in your lifetime. I've had them both, so I'm not cowboying anymore. This horse was amazing. He was the best athlete I'd ever sat on. He had a mind that was incredible. I would have cows that would come off the range and they would be mixed in with neighbors and, and sometimes one straight in. And, and, and I remember particularly days where there was one set of pair, a pair in with a hundred pairs that belonged to my neighbor. Mine's in there. She's got a CC bar on her, on her ear tag and branded on her left side and I know she's mine. But she's crowded into the corner because we're in there. I'm trying to get her and her calf out of there. That horse within seconds would know exactly who I'm after. And, and cows are scattering and we're going in there. Within seconds, that horse knew exactly the, the cow and calf I was after and he would not take his eyes off that cow. And I'm telling you, those who ride uh, have ever been, it is one of the sweetest things in this earth that you can experience. Because that horse is just moving with you. He's one mind with me. Now I had other horses. <laughs> that you get on and go, hey, we're after that one. Oh, yeah, great, you know. <laughs> Flies are bugging me. Their, their minds drift. And you're going, you're as dumb as a post. <laughs> just, that's just the way they are sometimes. When you and I think the same, when our minds have been shaped by the gospel, so when someone gets sick, we think of the gospel and it motivates to minister to them. When, when there's needs in the church, the gospel drives. When we start thinking the same, there is great joy. Some of you know this, and probably all if you've ever been married. There's difficulties when we don't think the same. There's great difficulties. There's no joy. And I'm not talking about diversity because Gina and I are polar opposites, praise the Lord. Two of me would be terrible. And Gina says this, if you weren't in my life, I'd get nothing done. So I'm going 9-0 and she pulls me back. But when we're not thinking the same, gospel motivated in our parenting and our love for each other and our roles in ministry, when we don't think the same, there is not harmony. Number two, he says, maintain the same love uses the agape love here. This is unconditional love. If we are thinking the same, we will love the same. We will love the same things, generally. We're starting missions next week. I'm telling you, if we are a gospel-minded church, we are going to love the next six weeks. Because it, God has allowed us to send and support the work of the gospel around the world. And I hope nobody, and I'm, I'm going to think the best of you, no one said, well, next six weeks, we'll get back to Philippians. I, don't, I, I may pop in, may not. We have the same love. 
And that love is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can't wait to hear what God's doing in Spain and South Africa and Congo and around the world and hear passages that motivate me to either go, send, or get out of the way. Because we have the same love. We have a love for Christ. We have a love for the gospel. I don't have time to take you, but it's in my notes. 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you had it in your weddings. And it's okay to have it in your wedding. But <laughs> the passage is about unity. They didn't love one another, so they didn't have unity. So he says, this is love. And if you don't love, you're a sounding gong. So he goes down through these principles of love that are for the church. Certainly they're true in our marriage. We should not keep a record of wrongs and we should always be patient and all those things are very good. They're a very good description of love. But that's this written for the church. Don't miss that. Third, he says, united in spirit. Literally it says, having a harmonious, united soul. A harmonious, united soul is the literal translation of that. Contending side by side, heart by heart to heart for the faith of the gospel. Striving together. Striving in parenting. Striving in marriages. Striving in jobs to put Christ first. Striving together. Philippians 1.5 said, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Wow. Somebody comes back here and they haven't been here for a long time. Would they come and say, wow, this church is participating in the gospel. I hope they would say that about us. Four, uh, the, the end result is really the fourth, intent in one purpose. Notice this, striving together for the faith of the gospel, intent in one purpose. This is our purpose. Well, isn't the church about potlucks and friends and building good relationships and maybe finding someone to marry and all that stuff? Well, some of that's a result. But the purpose of us is to strive together for the gospel. It's coming right out of verse 27. Strive together. These four characteristics of, of a church striving for the gospel, they complement one another, they correspond to one another, and they never are separate. And so you can't say, well, I have the same mind, but I don't have the same love. You can't say we're united in spirit, but we don't have the same purpose. You see how they're all connected here together? They must go together. Last one. The warning to those who desire to strive for the gospel. Paul is not um, unaware of the problems of humanity. Particularly in the Christians who we still have this unredeemed humanness about us that will not be completely gone until we step into glory with our Lord. So he's going to warn us here of some of the problems that may break our unity and are striving for the gospel. And, and, I, and I, I thought about this. There are sometimes these, desire, these godly desires that, uh, that we have, you and I have, and we, and we so badly want to go to them, sometimes we don't see traps that fall. And I think Paul's going to say this. Now, I don't think this church really struggled yet with these things, but he wanted to warn them of them. And I don't think we'd struggle with these things at this point, but we could. So let's learn from this. Notice he says in verse 3, do, not, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. You actually translate this word rivalry. We get the word rivalry from this word. I thought about that for a long time. 
if you're in rivalry with somebody, let's go back to football, um, you want that other guy dead, <laughs> right? We're going to crush you and steal your mascot. <laughs> hey, there's no rivalry here. No rivalry with the left side with the right side. You should sit on either sides every once in a while to prove it. I don't know about you center people. <laughs> there's no rivalry here. And if there is rivalry, meaning I'm going to have my way and I'm going to beat that other person in order to get this and I've got to have a title and I've got to have a position and I've got to do this and that, we will lose our unity. And he says, look, do nothing out of this selfish rivalry instinct that's within us. Because it is. You're selfish. I'm selfish. We are. I've proven to you before. What do you, what do you first think about? Who do you first think about when you wake up in the morning? Got to go to the bathroom. I got a busy day. You are geared to think about yourself. And so it's work, isn't it? We have to say, Lord, I need to die to self. And you do have a busy day and most likely you have to go to the bathroom. But, Lord, you have made me part of a greater work. So this morning, before I leave for work, I want to pray for my fellow brothers and sisters in church. Would you give them strength as I need strength today? Simple prayers, reminding yourself not to be selfish. This works in our marriage and our children as well. Think about selfishness. Satan's selfish desires led to his downfall, and now selfish, selfishness and rivalry is common to man. He said in Isaiah, recorded in Isaiah, I will ascend to the throne. Five of them in that passage, chapter 14. I will, I will, I will, I will. And he passed that on to men. Notice the next word is conceit. It's an interesting word. It's kenodoxy. Two words. Kenos, meaning emptied, nothing. And then doxa, the word for glory. So it carries the idea of seeking one's own glory and praise. Do nothing to seek one's own glory and praise. That's hard. You know, we, you say, oh yeah, I don't do that. Everybody likes a pat on the back. And we should give pat on the back. But if we're living for pats on the back, we are after empty conceit. Paul says that will destroy unity. It will destroy the striving together when we are so consumed with our own glory and our own praise and, hey, you didn't mention my name or, or we didn't sing songs the way I want them sung or this or that, we will find ourselves in disunity. Notice what he says to wrap this up in this. He says, but, a, a, a huge, what we call an aversive conjunction. The first half of this is selfishness, rivalry, empty conceit. And then he puts this adversive conjunction, but the opposite of that, do it with humility of, of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests. Yes, you have to look out for your interests. Please look in the mirror before you come to church. It scares people away when we all look like we just got out of bed. But don't live your life only for what's in that mirror. Is what he is saying. Don't merely look on your own personal interests, but on the interests of others. So let me give you just three closing applications, very personal here for us to look at individual, then we'll 
sing a song. Number one, does the gospel still humble you? Ask, this is for you, this is for me. I had to go through this because I had to write them in my notes. Does the gospel still humble you? Good question, isn't it? I see others broken by the gospel. I see others who talk to me and all they talk about is the gospel. They're, they're very gospel-centered people. But I'm not. The gospel doesn't humble me. It's kind of old news. Does the gospel humble you? See, it is, if, if it is the gospel that brings our unity, then the gospel must be the driving force to bring us to humility. Do you sing that song and say, one day he hung on that cross for me. Oh, glorious day. Oh, glorious day that he did that for me. Does that get old or you want to move on to something more spiritual? Does the gospel still humble you? Two, how does the gospel drive your service in the church to the body of Christ? Well, nobody signed up for church cleaning this week. Come on, honey, let's go down and do it. I mean, that happens, right? I don't think I really want to work with the twos and threes. I know those same gals are working in the nursery over and over and over and over. How does the gospel motivate you to do something that is not innate to you? See, I think it's repetition of it, preaching the gospel to yourself all the time, realizing that the, the unity of the church breaks down if the gospel isn't central to you and I individually. How does the gospel drive your service? We need, there's always help that needs around here, right? We all have to pitch in. This is a home. This is a house. This is where we meet together. And certain things get done, but boy, we love it when we hear the gospel driving people. If the gospel doesn't drive me, I will not stand in this pulpit. I promise you. I would never stand here. And if the gospel doesn't drive these men and these women that lead us in singing, they will not lead you in singing. If the gospel doesn't drive our children's ministry across the way, they will not teach your children. Gospel-driven services is what brings us together. And I think why we're so blessed with our worship and our children's ministry and the preaching, no matter who stands in this pulpit, is because the gospel's driving Grace Bible Church now. And we love it. Last one. And this is gonna, you're gonna have to maybe think about this through the week. How is the gospel teaching you to prefer one another? How is the gospel teaching you to prefer one another? You might put a how and a who in there. Is the gospel teaching you to prefer one another? Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. The gospel needs to bear, cause us to bear the burdens of one another. Oh, it brings Unity. Father, thank you for this very stark message. It's very clear, Lord, in the word. Paul was 
tremendously concerned that this beautiful church in Philippi that started with a, uh, a very devout woman who receives Christ and a jailer. And it grew, Lord, and people believed in Jesus and many were added to the number of the church, Lord. And it seems that they did love their Savior and they did participate in the gospel and they were a healthy church, Lord. But Paul said, oh, if you want to keep striving, let the gospel unite you. And so, Lord, we hear that this morning. Lord, it's maybe not commonly taught here in America. Churches become massive social clubs, Lord. And, and Lord, we don't want to do that. We want to love one another and, and we want to be social, Lord. We want to care for one another and know each other and laugh and weep and rejoice with one another. The Bible tells us to do that, Lord. But Father, I think I can speak for the congregation. We want to be gospel-driven men and women, boys and girls. Then that conversation of those new babies is sweet. Conversation of the difficulties at work. There's there's consolace there, Lord. Because we can care for each other with the gospel. So Lord, build unity through the gospel of our Savior. Cause us all to be striving. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. 